Women Made New. I'm your host, Kristalina Everett. Thank you for joining me today. So the EWTN free online learning series is out, ladies. And I am so happy and excited and feel so blessed. And it is absolutely free. So you can go to EWTN.com slash women made new and you can sign up and have access to all the videos, the learning study guide, all the reflections and ladies, it's time to face it own it and heal it. And this is just another step in your healing process. If you want to change your life, go to EWTN.com slash women made new and just see what Jesus has to say to you through those videos, through those healing reflections um, and go from there. So without further ado, let's get right into it with Patricia. Welcome to Women Made New. I'm your host, Kristalina Everett. Thank you for joining me. Today, we have a treat. Patricia Sandoval. Welcome to Women Made New. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on. Blessings to everybody listening. Now, you are actually part of the family of EWTN. And most people don't know that because it's EWTN Espanol. And you speak on all the pro-life issues, correct? That's correct. So I have been collaborating with EWTN since 2014 um, on different shows. And well, just two years ago, uh, my colleague Astrid Benegateris and I, um, we host Informe Pro Vida, which translates to pro-life report. So it's pro-life news, um, pro-life stories that happen throughout Latin America and Spain. And that's what we uh, that's what we report every Friday, seven thirty Central Time on EWT in Español. Wow, what is the pro life climate like in Latin America, in Spain right now? We know what it's like in America, and we're all experiencing it firsthand almost. But what is it like over there? Well, everything that happens and occurs in the U.S. Um, it tends to follow uh, years or decades later in Latin America and other countries. We know this. Um, but, you know, the pro-life movement in these countries are so passionate. Um, Latinos, you know, we're very pro-family and we, you know, we still thank God. We still value all, you know, the, the family values and God. And so people in the movement are so, so passionate um, and they're fighters. And, you know, we have a great devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. She is the patroness of the pro-life movement and she is the empress of the Americas. And so we're just trying to extend the message that she left us when she came and she appeared in 1531 to Juan Diego. And, you know, I just see a lot of uh, love and passion, passion and it's growing. The pro-life movement is growing in these countries. It's so beautiful that our laws were changed on the feast of the sacred heart of Jesus, right? And I feel like it was almost him showing his people and the people of God, I hear you, I love you, and you really have nothing to fear. Like when God says no more, he says no more. And it was beautiful that all of that transpired. And I have such a devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. And God has his ways of just showing us that no matter how bad or how dark, like he is there and he's always hearing us and listening to us and fighting for us. And people, I think, forget that. 
It was also the feast day of St. John the Baptist, which was yes. incredible. They fell on the same day. And remember, you know, um, the, the visitation. The, the visitation. <laughs> it was the cousins. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was the cousins. And it was John the Baptist that was just filled with the Holy Spirit when Mary came to visit her, you know, St. Elizabeth. And it was the interaction they both had, Jesus, baby Jesus in the womb and St. John the Baptist in the womb. And he was preparing St. You know, John the Baptist for, you know, for, for, just for greatness and, and to open the ways and to open the paths of, of the Lord. And so it fell on those, on the say on that feast day. And it's just a great um, confirmation that the saints are in you know, they're with us, the community of saints and that we're not alone. We have an army that's in heaven. That's also praying and fighting with us. And remember that this battle is Mary's, um, you know, sometimes we can feel discouraged and feel like we're alone and we feel like we don't have enough support, but we must remember that this battle is our ladies. And how do you want to battle? It's with a rosary in your hand. It's on your knees. Um, and so it's just a great month and it's a busy month for people that are in the pro-life movement. Um, so we ask also everybody listening to please pray for the unborn, pray for all those who work in the industry for their hearts and their conversion and for all those who defend life, um, because it's a pretty, it's a pretty hectic month and we know the enemy doesn't like it, but it's a beautiful month as well, where we remember and we respect and we honor life. That's beautiful. Now, I love your story. It is unbelievable. And I'm sure it has touched the hearts and the minds and has had so many conversions from just your honesty and just putting yourself out there and your experiences that you've had and even just coming back to to Jesus. And can you give my audience um, just everything that you've been through, Patricia, and why you are so passionate for the unborn? I grew up in a Hispanic family in California and, you know, faith was never the center of our family, our hearts. Jesus was never the king of our home, of our lives. And unfortunately, we we didn't practice our faith. We were baptized into the faith. Um, I did my Holy Communion. Kind of, We were kind of like the traditional Catholics. But I feel that I was a victim of abortion um, when I was in the sixth grade, 12 years old. That was the first time. I uh, fell into their trap, basically. I never received any type of formation at home. I didn't know what the virtues were. I didn't know the beautiful virtue of chastity as a child. I didn't know that God had a plan for me and that he had somebody for me in the future and that chastity was something that I had to treasure and I had, you know, my virginity. I had to take care of my virginity, my purity, um, and I had to live a pure lifestyle. I didn't know any of this. Um, And... Unfortunately, the world um, taught me lies and deceived me in the sixth grade. And Planned Parenthood came to my school and they gave us a talk on practicing safe sex, which does not exist. It was all I say it was all a trap. You know, the abortion industry, they're after the little ones. They're after the little one's innocence and they want future abortion patients. And they start in the schools. And that's exactly what happened to me in 19. 92. And we have to remember that the internet did not exist back then. So there was no YouTube. Um, you couldn't research anything with a cell phone because I didn't exist back then. And so the formation that I received, the little formation I received was all lies. And I believed that that was truth. 
They spoke about abortion, about how abortion is a woman's right. It's her body. It's her choice. It's a solution to an unwanted pregnancy, um, you know, and practicing safe sex, required condoms, birth control, and all these lies. And so when I left a school that day, you know, I remember thinking to myself, the day that I find a boyfriend and I fall in love, well, safe sex is the answer. I thought that true love was giving your heart and your body. That was showing, you know, the percent you cared about, um, that you really cared about them is giving your virginity to that person, right? That special person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's where I was first a victim of the abortion industry. And, you know, le- years later, you know, uh, my parents are divorced. Uh, everything in my family is a disaster. I grew up very rebellious, very hurt, um, very lost. And I met my first boyfriend. We practiced what I thought was you know, me being responsible, responsible sexuality, um, and the, in the ways of the culture of death. Um, and we started to use a condom and, and birth control condoms. It failed on three occasions. And I found myself in three unwanted pregnancies and I was just scared. The first time, you know, I found out I was pregnant. I say this, uh, to people that haven't been through this, you know, families, it's not like fear it's panic mode. So if you're trying to protect yourself against a pregnancy, I mean, the worst thing that can happen to you is getting pregnant. And so it was panic mode. And of course, all these thoughts come into your mind, in your heart, you know, your life is over. You're not, you know, all the dreams that you had, you know, of traveling and and having a career and being somebody in the world, it's done with. Now you're just going to be a stay at home mom. Um, You're really not going to do anything with your life, but just, you know, clean house and, you know, care for your family. It's not really, that's not really success. Um, and I just, just the first thing I thought is my life is over. And, you know, the second thing was my father coming from Hispanic, you know, family and Hispanic background and roots. Um, it's pretty shameful to get pregnant before marriage. So I was just imagining my father's little town in Mexico, all the gossip and my father being shamed. And it's pretty big in the Latino community. And I just thought to myself, I can't do this to my father. So all three uh, unwanted pregnancies, I was lied to at the abortion clinic. They told me it was a sack of tissue. Um, it's not really a baby until you're five months pregnant and all these things. And they never told me the truth about post-abortion syndrome. This is something they hid from me. The only post-care instructions I received was, you know, you're going to have cramping, bleeding, and here's some Tylenol. You, you're going to be, you know, free from this. This problem will be over in five minutes. And I seriously thought that every time I walked out of that abortion clinic, that I was a freed woman, that I was freed from being pregnant, freed from, uh, you know, free from um, just being oppressed by pregnancy. That's what I thought pregnancy was before marriage is oppression, which is pretty sad. And, you know, it's funny because it's the trap that I was talking about. The abortion industry knows that when a woman walks out of the abortion clinic and she had just had an abortion, that she's going to come back a second, a third time because she's not going to walk out of that abortion clinic and live a chaste life. She's Mm -hmm. not going to change her ways. It's actually going to make her ways worse because, um, a side effect from abortion is, you know, being promiscuous. Um, it's feeling even more empty, more um, sorrowful, you know, suicidal and miserable. And you're going to seek to fill that hole and and that misery with, you know, with sex, basically. I mean, that's what it is with, you know, with 
the wrong ways is the ways of the world is, 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 you know, filling that void with, you know, with sexuality. And so that's the trap I was in. I mean, that's why it's very common, Crystalina, that when a woman has one abortion, she has multiple abortions and working in this, you know, post-abortion healing, working in this uh, post-abortion healing, um, for 20 years, I've met women that have had six abortion, eight abortions, many abortions, because it's this, it's this trap. Now, how old were you when all of this transpired? I was 19 years old. So in a one year and a half, I had three abortions. Um, and you know, with the first and the second, and by the time I got to the third abortion, I was pretty much suicidal. I mean, I tried to take my life. Um, I had anorexia. I had mental and emotional disorders. I had nightmares. I'd cry all the time. Um, my emotions were just like a roller coaster. And not only was I suffering post-abortion syndrome, but my partner at the time was, and we just didn't understand what was going. He was depressed. He felt that, we're, that, that something was missing. He was anxious all the time. Um, he had nightmares and, and he was also suffering the effects because we have to remember that men also go through post-abortion syndromes. They also suffer the effects of abortion. See, I feel like with when a woman gets an abortion, like my body, my choice, that whole just scenario they're telling themselves, right? They really exclude the man. It's unbelievable in all of this rhetoric. It's like the man has no choice, no decision, no, no part to play whatsoever when she couldn't have gotten pregnant without him. And he also, to a certain extent, is going to suffer from that abortion if he knows it or not at the time. And I feel like that they're almost excluded, even with the healing and the process of it all. They don't think about it. And then also, I'm sure, Patricia, after you got the abortion and he is going through all of these side effects, you almost take that on as a woman like it's got to be me. It's something's wrong with me. Right. And what did I do wrong? Or we kind of take things on ourselves and we take the blame on ourselves, especially in relationships when they're not going right. And also when you give so much of yourself to that person. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I've met men, Crystalina, that have told me, Patricia, I didn't want to have an abortion. You know, um, I didn't. I felt like I was, um, you know, I had no voice. I had no right. My fatherhood was taken away from me. I've met men that have told me that they have stood in front of the abortion clinics trying, mm-hmm. you know, to to save the life of their baby. You know, you know, begging their their partners, please don't do this. Um, I can help you. I'm here. And, you know, they were, are, you know, they're escorted by security, by police. And they just felt like they powerless, basically like impotent, like they couldn't do anything. And I, you know, today the, you know, the unborn in the womb, they don't have a voice, but men are also silenced today. Uh, Men also don't have a voice if they try to save the life of their, of their baby. Yes. Very sad. Yes. And that's something that I don't hear often. In fact, it's something that I rarely ever hear. And I think you're the first person that has vocalized it in the way that you have, um, that I've heard it in that way. And, you know, and it's, and it also men are suffering in silence. The men's that men that do have abortions. I mean, we always talk about the 70 million abortions, you know, the close to 70 million abortions we have in our country. And we think about it's the women who had abortions, but we've had seven close to 70 million men have abortions. You know, they are, you know, it's, 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 it's hard for a woman. I can tell you, you know, 
to find healing and to actually admit you've had an abortion because it's there's so much shame around it. Mm. Can you imagine men? Men express themselves differently, you know, and men tend to hold things in and they try to, you know, because they're men and they have to be masculine. You know, they try to act tough and, and, and they, you know, they can't really be vulnerable and express their emotions. Can you imagine these men right now in the world that are just wounded and crippled inside that have not found healing. Um, we need men to be healed in this, you know, in, the, in this generation, we need men to be restored because we need to bring back strong families. Um, and so, you know, if a man tries to save the life of his baby, he's also silent, but men are also suffering in silence that have suffered abortions. Again, if you just are t- tuning into Women Made New, we are talking with Patricia Sandoval today, and she is part of the EWTN family, but in Espanol. And some of you may be familiar with her, with her, but some of you may not be. And she is giving us her testimony and her life story, basically, of why she got in to this pro-life movement, and she's so passionate And she's working so hard to help other women heal from their past abortions. Now, it's it's unbelievable because like you always are like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad as you're sinning, as you're walking towards the sin or getting worse and worse. You always are like, well, that other person's much worse than I am. So it's I'm doing just fine. Right. And you almost justify yourself all the way. But you're just getting deeper and deeper into it. And the devil is like. You don't realize that almost demonic dialogue and you're almost just beat down and beat down into that shame and that silent suffering and that nobody has to know. Nobody will ever find out. It's just it'll be your secret and you can walk out of this door after you have the abortion and your life is going to go right back to normal. Right. Isn't that the lie? Oh, I got so much deeper into it, Kristalina. Mm-hmm. I mean, I became, I think it's, you're right, it's suggestive. I it was angry and rebellious. And I was pretty much like, I always declared myself pro-choice. And I actually applied to work for Planned Parenthood. Um, wow. I saw an ad because, you know, after my three abortions, I still, I was actually grateful for, because one of my abortions was with Planned Parenthood. And, you know, they um, they always gave me free condoms, birth control. And I, I thought they were for the youth and for women. I applied to work uh, for them. They urgently needed a bilingual back office nurse. Now, when I called them and I said, look, I'm not a nurse. uh, I'm a receptionist at a medical office, but... You know, I speak fluent Spanish and I speak fluent English. I can help translate or, you know, I I don't know. Maybe I could, you know, you can use my Spanish somehow. And so I had an interview with Planned Parenthood and they were very excited that I was post-abortive, that I had had three abortions and they were extremely excited that I was fluent in both languages. And they said, you know what, Patricia, we're actually going to hire you as a back office nurse. Now we know you never went to nursing school and you have no credentials, but we really need you because here in California, 90% of the women who have abortions are uh, Spanish speaking women that don't speak any English. And we've never had somebody fluent and Spanish. We really need you. And this, when, when they told me that 90% of women were Hispanic, um, that did not speak any English, this was kind of shocking to me because, and somehow in my mind, I, I thought, you know, that Hispanic people didn't really have abortions. I thought it was kind of more of an American thing, but now we, we know that abortion is targeted against minorities like myself. Um, and anyhow, they illegally hired me as a nurse with no credentials, um, no nursing school, nothing. And they told me that they would train me on the spot. And it was behind the doors of Planned Parenthood, Crystalina. 
you know, I walked in the first day of, of my job thinking I was going to help women and thinking that I was doing something good for my community and for the youth. And when, you know, they trained me how to lie, they basically told me, you know, here you will never use the word baby, mother, father, he, she, any word that gives human dignity you cannot use. You never let the woman see the screen on their ultrasound. They can never see, you know, if they cry, um, if they beg, they can't look at the screen. You will never be friendly to a patient um, because women come in here crying and they want somebody to help them. They want somebody to give them another option and abortion is their only option. So you will not be friendly. We'll ignore those tears. And this was all very strange to me. I, I, I still didn't understand what was going on, but it was when I had to actually assist the abortionist during the first abortion. After the procedure, I actually had to look for the baby's body parts. I truly thought, Kristalina, with my whole heart, that I was going to look for a sack of tissue, a clump of cells, because that's what I was told before my three abortions. But when the person that was training me, my coworker, with, with forceps, basically with tweezers, she lifts up the, all the little baby's body parts. The first little body part that I saw that she held up to the light was the hand of this little baby. This baby was three months in the, in the womb that three months old, the first thing I saw, Christina, were the baby's fingerprints. And inside of me, inside of my soul, I was screaming, fingerprints identify us as irrepeatable, authentic human beings. Like nobody else in the world has my fingerprint. That's what makes me me. It makes me a person. And that was the first screaming thought I had inside myself. And when she held up the fifth part, which was the part that broke my heart, shattered my heart. It was a baby's little head. The baby was completely formed, little eyes, little ears, a nose. I can even see like an eyelash growing, but the baby's mouth was literally screaming with no voice. The little baby's mouth was open, mm. trying to fight for its life, but there was nobody there to hear this baby's cries or screams. And this, uh, you know, my coworker puzzled this baby's body together basically and threw it away in the garbage and said this abortion was successful. And that's where I was screaming inside of myself, Christina. They lied to me. They, they deceived me. They told me I had aborted three sacks of tissues and I aborted three of my own children. And it was literally hell on earth working behind the doors of Planned Parenthood. I mean, I, I, I couldn't do it. I, I would look around at my coworkers and, and say, you know, what's wrong with these people? How could they do this? These are babies. And I mean, it was, I didn't last very long. Obviously it was, it was, it was torment inside, but I could say, you know, that sometimes we just, we see Planned Parenthood as a great enemies and, and we just have to remember that we have to have mercy on these people that work behind the doors because they're also traumatized by abortion. Um, I mean, when I would look at my coworkers, Christina, they were like zombies. They were so traumatized by abortion and working behind the doors that they're just so numb to, to they're just numb. so numb. Yes. Yeah. Numb is the and word. And you know what's very sad? Most of the staff are teenagers that work behind the doors. That's why Planned Parenthood goes into the schools and universities, not only to pass out free condoms and like free birth control, but they offer employment because they know that a lot of the youth, they're motivated by money. So they, they pay very good money. So people would actually stay there to work there and to survive, you know, what they have to survive and see. And so a lot of the workers behind the doors are teenagers that are just coming out of high school and they need our prayers. 
Isn't it interesting? I want to go back to a moment for a moment of when you actually started working there because you experienced some really horrific things after you had your abortion, even at Planned Parenthood, but almost like going and working there, was it almost like a justification of I am helping women? Like I, I it wasn't, it's not as bad as I think it was, you know, and almost going back there, like I'm going to help women and, and almost like kind of justifying it to yourself of that it's okay. Oh, completely. I mean, I was in total denial. And I yes. think it was like, I think it was unconsciously like there's sub in my subconscious, I was probably trying to justify mm-hmm. the pain and the hurt I was feeling from being post abortive and just feeling kind of more like that feminism route kind of yes. like I'm going to help denial. Women. Yes, yes, completely. And it was, I mean, heartbreaking, just just everything that I had to go through and live. I could tell you that probably working behind the doors was more, even more traumatizing um, uh, to me than, than even the effects I felt um, after having three abortions, because now I was like seeing truth. I was touching truth. I was smelling. Abortion has a smell smelling. I was hearing. It was just, it was just a deeper trauma for me working there. So what happened to you after you left Planned Parenthood? It had to just like your entire life had to change. And I'm sure something inside of you just died. Well, what happened with me, I was uh, very uh, traumatized, um, you know, above my uh, post-abortion syndrome. This was like I had mentioned, this was um, a deeper trauma for me. And, I, you know, my refuge was not in God. You know, I, I knew about God when I was preparing for my first communion. Um, I had like a small uh, relationship with God during, you know, you know, during during CCD. But after my, you know, Holy Communion, I just... I, I didn't remember anything about God. I forgot about him. And my you like checked was it off, right? It was completely. like the check. Oh, I got my confirmation. Oh, I got exactly. my first communion. Oh, okay. Check until marriage. Okay. I'm done. Exactly. I mean, I, we didn't, like I said, we didn't live or practice our faith at home. So I started to experiment with cocaine. I remember a friend telling me, you know, um, my, I come from a broken family as well. And cocaine numbs the pain in my heart. And I started, I thought to myself, I won't get addicted. I'll just kind of do this when I'm not feeling well or on weekends. But I became completely addicted to cocaine to the point where cocaine didn't do anything for me and I needed something stronger. And I started to use methamphetamine. Um, I started to smoke this out of like a crack pipe. Um, I was so hooked on meth. I couldn't work. I couldn't go to school anymore. I mean, I was pretty pretty much a preppy girl in high school, straight A student. Um, Never thought I would get pregnant, never thought I'd have abortions, never thought I'd get, you know, hooked on drugs and become a drug addict. And that's exactly what I became. I lost my home. Um, I lost everything I had. And I was living on the streets for three years as a methamphetamine crack addict, um, living, uh, sleeping on the streets, sleeping in cars, and just completely just living a dark life away from my family. Nobody knew where it was. The thing is, no one ever intends these things. No one ever thinks these things can happen to them. And I think all along the way, God warns us and he keeps telling us no. And our conscience is there and his voice is there trying to to guide us. And we ignore it and we shut it up and we think we know better. But I don't think anyone ever intends this route. It's just this is what sin does to someone. And it slowly destroys you and rips you inside out upside down and you become a version of yourself that you never thought you would become right 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember looking at myself in the mirror. I had pulled out all my hair and from um, just so much drugs, I was all skin and bones. And I remember looking at my like into my eyes and I just saw somebody I had no hope, somebody that was dead inside. And I remember I questioned my life um, one day. I thought to myself, you know, am I going to survive the streets? I haven't eaten anything in five days. I haven't slept in five days. I'm alone. And, and I just started to cry. I, I sat on a sidewalk curb and I thought I was going to die. I just started to weep like a child. And as I was weeping, I thought to myself, what's going to become of me? Um, and as I was weeping, I felt very strong in that moment. The presence of God, the father looking down upon me through the clouds and um, I felt his presence at that very moment. And I, I knew he existed. You know, I, I'm not, I come from, a, you know, I remember having a, an image of the sacred heart in my home. Like I knew who Jesus was. Um, I just didn't know him. And I looked up at the sky and I said, God, I know you exist, but I just don't know you. You're the only thing I have this very moment. And I just want to, I just want to tell you that I'm very sorry for all the choices I've made in my life. I've destroyed my life with the, 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 the decisions I've made. And I just want to ask for your forgiveness. And I mean, Christina, not even a minute passed by this young girl runs out of a restaurant in a waitress uniform. And I remember looking at her name, like she had a tag over her, over her, her chest. Her name's Bonnie. And she said, I'm a waitress at that corner. And I was praying for you because I saw you crying. And God told me to come out here and to tell you, he loves you. Jesus oh loves God. you. And that everything that you've done in your life, he forgives you and that he will never abandon nor forsake you, that he's with you until the end of time. And I don't know where you live, but you're going home today. I'm taking you home. Oh my gosh, Patricia. Okay, we have to take a moment right there and we have to have a quick break with our friends uh, over at EWTN. And you sit right there. We will be right back with Patricia. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Women Made New. I'm your host, Kristalina Evert. Thank you for joining us. And for those of you that just tuned in, we are talking with Patricia Sandoval, and she is telling us about her life story and experiences and why she is so passionate about working for the pro-life movement and fighting for the unborn. And you were just in the middle in your testimony of the most unbelievable experience. So give us just a quick recap, if you can, um, for those that just tuned in about uh, what you were talking about right before the break. Right. So after having three abortions, suffering post-abortion syndrome, working behind the doors of Planned Parenthood, suffering a deeper trauma and then drug addiction, living on the streets as a homeless crack addict. You know, I reached out to God um, when I was at the darkest point of my life and I prayed out to him and I asked for his forgiveness. And at that very moment, a young girl who was praying for me, um, a waitress that was, uh, you know, she was working. She saw me crying and she prayed for me. She ran out and she said that God gave her a word that he loved me, that he forgave me and he would always be with me. Um, and so this young girl did take me home. 
she took me home. Um, and I was just feeling like the biggest loser, Christalina. I mean, the biggest failure. I had so many dreams for myself. I, you know, like I mentioned, I was a straight A student. I wanted to travel the world, have a great career. And now, you know, I'm just garbage. That's how I felt. Garbage. How can I face my father? How can I face my family? Everybody's, you know, is gossiping about me. And it, it was very hard for me. And, you know, when my father opened the door, I knocked on the door, I saw the pain in his eyes and I threw myself to his feet and I begged his forgiveness. And he said, you know, daughter, welcome home. No pasa nada. Mija, it's okay, mija. He's like, it's okay. You're home. I love you. And you know, wow. thank God for my God. And, you know, my mother, um, reached out to me and she said, you're going to, you know, my parents were divorced at the time. And she said, I'm going to care for you. I'm leaving my job. I have savings. I'm going to care for you. You, you, you know, you're malnutritioned and I'm going to help you. And when my mother picks me up and takes me home, she says, Patricia, you know, I, I don't practice. Um, she, my mom was used to practice new age and she says, I'm not in the new age movement anymore. Um, I don't believe in that stuff. I came back home to the Catholic church and I've been on my knees for three years, praying for you in front of the blessed sacrament, wow. offering every mass, every <sighs> Eucharist, for, wow. for this miracle. And I, you know, I, I, I thank God for his divine mercy because he is the king of divine mercy. But if it weren't for my mother's prayers, I don't think I'd be alive today. So I just want to encourage every mama listening to me to never give up. God is faithful until the end. You keep praying for that son or that daughter that's lost, for that husband that's not, you know, that's not coming into the faith or that, you know, child that you have in prison or on drugs or whatever. You know, we will never know. We will never know. Maybe, maybe we'll never see their conversion. Maybe, you know, we will die. And maybe at the point, the moment of their death, you know, because of all your prayers, all those graces will fall upon your child. I mean, God is faithful. And and, and mother's prayers, Christina, are so important to God. He himself wanted to have a mother. He himself wanted mm-hmm. to have a mother. And we have Our Lady. And, and Our Lady is the mother of the church. He gave us a spiritual, a perfect spiritual mother to intercede for us because it's that important to God, the prayers of a mother. And I just give thanks to God for my mama that she never gave up on me and she kept praying for me. Right. And I want to go back Quickly to those women that are listening that maybe have had abortions and that have just stuffed it and ignored it and just kind of went numb to it and wanted once want to act like it never happened or it doesn't matter or it doesn't affect you. But deep down, you know, and but you don't know, even know how to go there. And the biggest thing that those women need is just love And um, as hard as that can be, and as much as they do feel like thrown away trash at the time, that God has a purpose and a plan and a mission for those women, and he can make all things new. And Patricia and I are both (laughs) our testimonies of that and what God can do in our lives and turn things around for his greater glory. Right, Patricia? Yes. And I, I think that it's very difficult for women who have had abortions to forgive themselves. Like I've, mm. I've heard many priests say that they confess it once, you know, and again and again and again. And that was my case too, you know, because you can confess a sin um, and you can change your ways. You can turn around. But how do you undo an abortion? 
Like, mm. how do you, you know, your that child, you know, is no longer, you know, and, and how do you undo that? And I think that's why it's hard. But, you know, I want to share this beautiful grace that God gave me um, when I went to a Rachel Vineyard's retreat. It's post-abortive healing for men and women. Um, I was that woman that couldn't forgive myself. And I knew God forgave me, but I couldn't forgive myself. And when I walked into the retreat on a Friday afternoon, I thought, okay, my children are dead. Like there's no, I can't, I can't undo that. I can't get them back. Um, you know, I know where they ended up. You know, I saw it with my eyes. I touched it with my hands. I worked in an abortion industry. Like I saw it. They end up in a trash can. Like my children are no longer. The Bible says that, you know, Rachel wept because her children were no longer and God wiped her tears and he gave her a message of hope. And Saturday evening in Rachel's vineyard, when I was praying, I had a grace and I saw in a vision with my eyes closed, my three aborted children, they were in front of me, a little girl, a little boy and a little girl. And I saw the joy and they were jumping up and down and they were screaming to each other. She can see us. Oh, how we love her. And they yelled out to me something I never thought I'd hear in my life because I was feeling like a murder. They said, mother, mother. And I, I remember thinking to myself, mother, they said, we are in heaven. We're in God's glory. And we're praying for you. We're praying for your salvation. We're alive. We live in God's glory. And then I heard Jesus's voice in my heart say, do you see the little dresses your daughters are wearing? The Virgin Mary put those little dresses on them so you can see how beautiful they are. Do you see the little clothes that your son's wearing? It's to your liking. It's your taste. The Virgin Mary knows what you like. She dressed him so you can see how precious he is. Do you see the little bows in your daughter's hairs? The Virgin Mary combed their hair and she put those little bows so you can see how precious your little girls are. Know this, my daughter, that I, I was victorious over death on the cross and that your children live and they're under Mary's care, your mother's care in heaven. And the day that you come to heaven, you will see them for all eternity because everything in me is not lost, but everything in me is restored. And that's when, when I woke up from that vision that's where that passion to defend life grew in me because one for one, I, not only did I know that God forgave me, Crystalina, but my children had pity on me. My children forgave me. I saw the mercy in their faces. I saw their mercy. And I know for a fact, I know for a fact with all my heart that all those little children, those unborn, you know, unborn aborted children in heaven, they're praying for their parents' salvation. And they're in God's glory and they're under our lady's mantle. She cares for those babies that are miscarried. She cares for all the babies that are aborted. And, you know, there's so many women, Christelina, that come up to me and say, I lost a child through miscarriage. You know, I didn't have an abortion, but I had four miscarriages and I lost a child through miscarriage. Well, nothing is lost because everything in Christ is restored. Everything in him is restored. And those little babies live and those little babies are waiting for us in heaven. They're praying for us. And, you know, that's where I thought to myself, I need to do reparation. I, I have two choices. I thought to myself, I can either like live a normal life and just save all this mercy and, and wow, I got my healing and I'm done. Or I can extend God's message of mercy and, and, and healing to other women and men who are suffering in silence, you know, and give them this hope that God gave me. And obviously, you know, I have to do reparation for what I've done. I've done a lot of damage. And I believe not only do people... Not only that, you know, people that are forgiven from abortion, we should all do reparation, but everybody should do reparation for the sin of abortion in our country, in our states, for our laws. We need to do acts of reparation. And this is why I'm so passionate. 
because I know God's so good. I know those babies are under Our Lady's care, and I know that I have to repair what I've done. You know, it's interesting that you brought up um, women that have miscarriages, and I think some women just suffer in silence, and they don't even bring up their miscarriages or their babies, and everyone asks how many kids I have. And I always say, well, I have 11 and they're like, and taken back. Right. And just their eyes almost pop out. But I'm like, but I have three babies in heaven. And then I have my eight children, but those are still my babies. And this last miscarriage I had over, um, this last summer. Right. And it was very different than my other two. And Jason, um, was in Israel and he was traveling and I was in the middle. It was just, everything was so unknown than my other two. Right. And I had his support there and this time he was gone and, and I was even like, Lord, why, why, like the fact it's happening, he's gone. It was like, wow, this is, this is going on. And, um, I will say the grace that I got out of all of that. And it was a really early miscarriage too. And I think women, some women just almost feel shameful, like even mourning those early miscarriages because it's like, oh, well, you didn't really have a pregnancy or it really wasn't that developed or, you you know, it's almost just like, well, it wasn't that far along. And it's just like, no, don't, don't tell me that. And don't, um, undervalue that that was my child and that I lost my child and God, that was God's will for me. But don't feel bad ladies out there that you've had miscarriages or early ones that you didn't have some big full developed pregnancy and that you lost your child that way, which I've experienced that as well, ladies. But this early one was very different and I still mourned the loss of my child and I had to go through things because of that. And it was hard. And I also had to go through it without my husband, which was hard. But at the same time, um, Jesus was there for me. God, the father was there for me. And I know it was his most perfect will. And through that, I got the special grace of this, that God knows there are some battles and the battles that you're going to face in your life that maybe you need that family member up there in heaven that is fighting solely for you and that you have that little warrior up there that you can pray to and that's advocating for you and helping you and giving you special graces that maybe you wouldn't have got otherwise. But through suffering, there is such beauty and grace-filled just gifts God does give us if we just walk through it and we give it to Him and we walk with him through that suffering. And I feel like he gave me that little grace to know that I've got this warrior. My, my three babies in heaven are my little warriors for me here with things that he knows are coming or things that may happen or just the spiritual warfare in ministry. And, and, and the beautiful ways we're blessed here are also kind of coincide with the warfare in your life, right? Because anytime you're doing good and you have your hand on the pulse of things, the evil one's going to try to counter that in some way, shape or form because you sign up and you're fighting for Jesus. You're fighting what's right, good and holy. Obviously, you're entering into a battle, a spiritual battle that we need to stop being naive about and acting like it's not happening and that it's not all around us because it is. And a lot of us are dealing with it on a daily basis. And some of you don't even recognize what it's really going on and you're just getting eaten alive by it. But we as women need to learn um, the weapons that we have in our church that we can use when we are suffering, when we are going through difficulties and to use the sacraments, use the rosary, use that holy water, go to your Bible, spend time in Eucharistic adoration, 
I think the biggest thing a woman can do in her life, and that is the biggest weapon we have on this earth, is Jesus in the Eucharist. That is Jesus, mm. ladies. He never left us. People think that he left, ascended in the clouds, and he's just gone, and he's watching us from above. No, I went and I saw Jesus this morning in Mass. Jesus is here right now today in the Eucharist and the Adoration Chapel may be down the street from you that you ignore. And he's waiting for you. He's calling you. There's an invitation, ladies, and it's time to face things, to own them, to heal them and to start over. He wants to renew and restore you. And I feel like it can be so scary. I know. And Patricia, I know you have experienced that fear but you have to walk through it. There's no other way, but on the other side, it can be a whole new life and he can change the course of your entire life by just going to confession. Today, Saturday, everywhere, there is confession today. So I urge you to go to confession and start over. Let today maybe be the first day of the rest of your life for some of you. Maybe you haven't confessed you've had an abortion or that you've had an affair, that that you have an addiction, whatever it is, you give it all to Jesus. And yes, will you be afraid? Yes, may it be hard, but it doesn't matter. Jesus will be with you in that fear. And I've experienced it, but he's with you, ladies. He loves you and he's fighting for you. And to go to confession, I say it on my every show and I'll say it until I don't have the show anymore. I go to confession and you can start over. And I'm telling you, bringing that grace into where that darkness is, your entire life can change like mine did and Patricia's did. I love that. I always say that in my conferences, it's, you know, you can start over every single day, like Mm -hmm. every single time you fall. I mean, I think that's the most important message. We have to be a little bit patient with ourselves because sometimes, you know, I've, I've had so many young women, uh, you know, say I made a vow of chastity and I failed. I fell. I'm no good. Look, I, I knew I was going to fail. I, 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 you know, I, I, again, I turned my back on Jesus and I said, you know what? I think our Lord focuses more on the times you get up, the times that you keep going back to the confessional. Um, I remember because Selena, like I was so frustrated with myself at the beginning when I decided to start all over um, and to give my chastity to God and just to, you know, just to live a pure life. I was really hard on myself. Um, it's funny because I say that I used to go bar hopping, but then um, when I was trying to live a chaste life, I would go confessional hopping. But <laughs> like, I was just like, oh God, you know, father's going to get mad. I'm going to a different confessional. But you know what? I didn't give up. I didn't give up. I kept starting all over. And, you know, and, and, and confession weakens that vice. Confession... Yes weakens the vice every single time until God, until you, until God helps you perfect that virtue. And, you know, you, like, I love that God is in God always restored women. You know, when you read the gospels, um, God had just so much patience and so much love and compassion. And he always, always was into restoring women and giving them dignity. So of course we can start all over as many times as it takes for us to perfect those virtues. Right. we It's time to show up to our own fight, ladies. It's just time. I even have my own battles on a day-to-day still, but they're not the ones that I used to have. And we can't forget our victories that we have had in Jesus and the, the ways that we have overcome that vice. We've overcome the evil one coming after us in our lives and the victories that we have won. And the evil one wants us to forget, but do not forget those and ask Jesus as simply as this, Jesus, help me. Jesus, give me strength to confront whatever it is I need to to start over and go to that confession. Give me the strength to go to confession today. And as as fearful as it may be sometimes, you just keep saying that all the way to confession. 
That's what I did. I was scared to death. I, I remember I was shaking in line with my like four page front and back like confession I had to do when I first came back. I was shaking and I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. You know, I probably look like a crazy in line, but I did it anyway. And that's what you just have to do. And you know what? Yes. Jesus on the cross. He saved every single one of us and, and that mercy and we can start over, but it actually goes back to his obedience to God, the father to die on that cross. And sometimes we have to be obedient to what God is asking as hard as it may be. But in the end, it's always good for us. And he will always give you everything that you need. If he's asking you to do something, no matter what that is, Patricia, thank you for being here. This was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And how God's grace just abounds in the most darkest of places that people may think that they are, that God light is not going to touch them there. Right. And he did all of that for you and look where you're at now. And you also have a book about your story, don't you? Correct. My book is called Transfigured. Um, it came out a couple years ago. I'm here in the United States. It's already been translated in several countries, um, by the glory of God. But really I, I always say it's, you know, I was, I am and, and was a sinner. Like it, it was easy for me to sin. I didn't do anything great. I just basically, it's basically all my sins in a book, but it's his greatness and what he can do um, mm-hmm. with misery. Basically it's his book, it's his glory and it's his greatness, but it's called transfigured. And you can get that on queen of media.com or patriciasanibal.com or Amazon as well. And they also have it at EWTNRC.com, um, the religious catalog at That's EWTN, correct. if you're used to shopping there as well. And um, I was looking at it and they have the bookmark that you did with Doug Keck as well, which is an excellent interview. So if you go on the page at EWTNRC.com and you type in Patricia Sandoval, you'll see her book. And then you'll also there's a link right next to it to the Doug Keck interview that was phenomenal. So if you want more information and you want to see more of Patricia, you can go there. And Patricia, thank you for your openness and your yes to God and your willingness to to go and help women who are struggling through this and having the courage and giving other women the courage to do it as well. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. My prayers for everybody listening. And I ask that you pray for my family and myself for, you know, so we can continue this pro-life mission. Thank you so much. God bless you. I want to thank my guest again, Patricia, for being here. And for those of you that may not know that next week is the March for Life. And if you could all please pray for all of the people that are going to attend for their safety and also just that the evil and that darkness and that culture of death that those people would have the grace to maybe just change their mind that that God can change the course and he can do anything in a split second, but we have to be faithful. We have to show up to our fight. We have to just keep on. And we also have to pray and fast and just be there for each other. So if we can just unite in prayer alone, that is very powerful for the March for Life next week in Washington. God bless you all. Have a wonderful weekend. I will be praying for you. Please pray for me and my family. And I am going to leave you with a reflection from Patricia Sandoval. God bless you all and see you next week.
my friends. This is Patricia Sandoval, International Pro-Life and Chastity Speaker. And today for our pro-life reflection, we will reflect and honor the lives of the unborn aborted children in their mother's womb, the little martyrs of the martyrs. Some of us just don't want to hear about abortion. Immediately, these gruesome images pop into our minds and we would just rather not go there. I agree. Abortion is very ugly and it's even uncomfortable to talk about. But I would like to share something special about the aborted babies and share a different perspective of the distorted images we see or think of them. I believe that they are and have been the little martyrs of the martyrs of our time for the past five generations since abortion was legalized in our country. We love to hear about the stories of the saints, and we admire especially the martyrs who were stoned to death, beheaded, decapitated, and many of them tortured. We are just in awe with their courage, perseverance, and their faith. We don't see these testimonies as gruesome. We see them as holy. The unborn aborted babies are also God's little holy ones. They are the little martyrs of the martyrs. Let me explain. You see, the saints had a past and were sinners just like us. But the unborn aborted children were never born to sin. They were never born to have a sinful thought, a sinful action, or a sinful intention. The martyrs were persecuted and killed by their enemies. But the unborn aborted babies were persecuted, are persecuted and martyred, not by their enemies, but by their own mothers and fathers, who most likely were lied to, pressured into doing so, and deceived by the culture of death. I believe that the unborn aborted babies who are martyred in their mother's womb are the creatures that look most like Christ, whom was martyred on the cross, sinless, thoughtless, without guilt, nor condemnation. Christ martyred on the cross, completely sinless, pure, and innocent. The unborn aborted babies martyred in their mother's womb, completely sinless, pure, and innocent, just like Christ. They are a reflection of Christ's agony on the cross. They are holy, and now they live in God's glory. They pray for the salvation of their parents and are their parents' great intercessors. They are the little martyrs of the martyrs of our time. For the word of God in the Gospel of Matthew says, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And maybe, maybe on the day of our judgment, God will also add, For I was in the womb, in danger of being aborted, and you stood up for me, and you gave me your voice.